it, it yeah, may but... look phallic, but that is not a reason to start rubbing it. Okay. <laughs> There was actually so there's something I was thinking of the other day, and it's that so we met in yeah so we met in Athens that was 2011 so, uh, springtime something like that that was cool and then March, March I think. yeah like March April I think like a bit of a blend something like that and then when we then next bet was the end of that year 2011 in December in Rennes and you were a media team member. Was that your first experience as a media team member? Did we take your media team virginity? Yes. Not only that, you took my uh, official <laughs> participation virginity. I was uh, officiated for the first time in Ren. Beautiful. A first time official in NIS. Ren. Oh, no, boy. <laughs> it was a Ren national session that Nathan and Guillaume organized in 2011. Ah, that makes yeah. more sense. Back in the day. Back in the day. And then. The, like when I was thinking about that, there, I know that you you come from an arts background, right? So you went, to, you did like arts university and shit like that. Um, and if you actually do that as your background, then you go into a media team. Um, what do you actually see about like the level of what UIP media teams actually produce compared to the stuff that you study? Oh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> I mean. It very much depends on who you have on your team, of course. And I don't think you often have a very high artistic goal as a media team member. Again, I remember one case where we had um, somebody working in film to begin with. And what they were producing, it was still amateur material, but it was way more engaging than similar things you'd seen before. Mm. Um, and then you had people who were just interested in some testing interactive uh, games or um, basically create, creating experiences for delegates mm -hmm. uh, who didn't really have a very um, artsy approach to it. They just wanted to kind of do anthropological research instead of um, uh, working on the arts. But you had a good mixture with um, other people who were very much into photography, for example. I think the most common thing with EOP media is not really the arts, it's more design. Um, design uh, as in graphic design, photo editing, uh, messing about with... Um, motion graphics and uh, video so I think it's yeah more the branch of design and I have seen quite experimental and cool things um, tried out at sessions because it's a very unique opportunity where you have a very um, low pressure to deliver even though it seems like you're gonna die and explode if you don't get exactly what you need in exactly the right time it is a very low pressure environment comparing to doing it professionally. Um, that combined with having so many people, so many ideas, everybody's so hyped about what's happening. You have a lot of potential for very engaging design material and photography and videography. 
Um, I digress. Repeat your question. <laughs> no, that was interesting. Um, so, so it's based on the differences of what you said of what you can see there, it's not really about art. It's more design in terms of what they do. Is that something that has changed, do you feel, over the past? Because you've been in media teams, what, eight years between the time you first entered a media team to the time you edited in an IS. So during those eight years, did you see a change in terms of that kind of focus or not really? Yes, definitely. When we were in Ren, uh, we were basically writing articles and uh, choosing random pictures from the bulk of the pictures taken that day. Um, and it was really like um, more of a journalistic approach in terms of, okay, what are we going to write about? How's it going to be useful? And that hasn't completely disappeared, but it has very much um, taken a different shape. So if in uh, 2011, it was like mm, printed black and white, um, stapled together it was a piece of the session that you could take with your home it was some memories nobody gave a cat's tail about this thing except the people who were actually there i think now we also focus way more on the organizational value of media content so to explain uh every session requires a certain number of photos of sponsors or sponsor provided um, products or a representative of a certain company who supported the event coming and you want to have good pictures of this uh, same with video we need to um, a good example of this would be the um, uh, power shifts lab i forgot what it's actually called uh, but uh, power shifts has changed and now as a, a lab situation where you get a bunch of uh, media people together. At least it was the case in 2019. Uh, and you ask them to do something creative in terms of media with the resolutions that have come out of sessions supported by PowerShift's money. Um, of course, it's not the only thing that media teams do, but it has become quite this, okay, so we want to make videos, we want to take pictures, we also want to take into account that we're representing the organization, it's all going to be online, the office also wants good pictures and it also wants good videos from sessions that are also niche. Um, you always have this kind of uh, presenting the bigger picture to the world kind of thing in mind when you're producing media team content. And you kind of stepped away from the, this is a precious piece of 15 A4s with black and white photographs that look uh, very poor on that A4. But it's precious to me as a Fabergé egg and I'm going to keep it forever and look at it when I'm 75 to, oh, we need to compose this picture so that it shows how cool we are and professional and also that we are the future. Do you feel like that's a beneficial direction for AYP media teams to go? Like in terms of what, what the team serves in a session? I think it's an important um, thing to consider. It's um, obviously not the only thing that media teams do. But I think it's also a very good opportunity for people to grow, to kind of 
think bigger. So like if you think small, if you think just a hundred people who are at the session, nobody else is going to see what you're making. That limits your creativity to that small bowl of comfort. Uh, you don't have, you don't you don't require more of you because it's so homey and you know who's going to be seeing it. Whereas if you already anticipate that what you're creating is going to be visible beyond that fluffy ball of a hundred people, you're starting to kind of uh, look for more, push yourself a bit further. Um, look outside of what has been done before in EYP and try to incorporate things from different fields into what you're doing in the media team. So I think just having that in mind that the, the um, sort of content we produce is not only for internal consumption, but it's also for external consumption, it opens quite a few doors. That being said, though, there's obviously uh, projects... Um, like one I remember we did at the French Nationals was uh, it was basically like a game set up between two set, two people at the session. You have to react speedily to one thing. And it's nicely filmed, like the way it was filmed was very pleasant to watch, but it still had more of the aspect aspect of, yeah, you had to be there to kind of know the yeah. people who are playing, to be interested in what they think. Uh, and you will enjoy it later when you're 75, looking at it from your futuristic car and it being projected onto the sky or something. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's um, that that aspect is not dead; it's still thriving. There's just this new one that has become more important than it used to be before when you were just doing internal content. Yeah. I think I think that reflects very funnily on at least my vision on the academic team, which is that I very much dislike the idea that we would be taking EYP beyond this bubble of ours. Because to me, EYP is about the experience that people are going to have at the session and taking content that we produce, be it, well, in the case of the church team, resolution booklets or other sorts of variety written content that the church team sometimes puts out with the delegates, bringing that to someone that does it for, does this kind of policy things for a living isn't necessarily in any way the point of a resolution. Like to me, a point of a resolution is for delegates to, you know, express themselves, enjoy and learn things in that process. But they, taking that to a ministry somewhere, which is something that has been done, UIP resolutions have been presented to professionals in the field, but it is, I, I very much dislike the idea that we move further in that direction as an organization. But to take that as a like comparison to the media team, it's interesting to think that we could reach the other world through that. Uh, let me give a bit of an organizer's perspective on the resolutions. <laughs> Um, essentially, the way we do sessions at this point, um, the resolution is the only tangible outcome, right? Um, you need to get some money for a session. Otherwise, it's not really going to happen. And what you are these days trying to market are the topics. And you can't just say that, yeah, they're going to discuss it for a few days there and uh, please support this financially. Cool. We'll uh, never see you again. 
the supporter would be interested maybe in uh, understanding what young people think on that topic. That's why they're interested in the first place in your event. I remember we got supported by the um, uh, U.S. Embassy for a forum I did because we included a um, U.S.-related topic and then sent them the resolution on that topic. They were interested in the content. Um, and you, obviously you have different ways of collaborating with your supporters. However, resolutions are really the, the thing you can show for the work you have been doing there. And it's a, a big part of reporting. While I understand where you're coming from, it's not the, if you're like 16 and you're reading the word clause for the first time in your life and you're trying to understand what it is that you have put on paper there, you're not necessarily very, very eager to show your um, achievement that day to a bunch of politicians who have who dream of the word clause every night. <laughs> so it's... I think a little bit also reflecting on the comfort of uh, the delegates and the chairs who had to moderate that work. And I think it's often also felt like the responsibility of the chair to produce a good resolution. Um, on the other hand, though, I think it's uh, also a boost to young people to know that, oh, somebody is important, important is actually reading what I've done here in three days. Yeah, that's true. And I guess it's not really like an all or nothing. It's not saying let's say on the chair's perspective that either we focus internally or we do this in order to make change externally. And I guess the same thing within the media team. It's not about saying uh, I only focus in this bubble or I only focus outside the bubble. It's on a spectrum. And I guess the question that we're discussing here is um, to which side should we be moving on that spectrum? And if you do, let's say, focus a bit more on the external side, um, do you start to sacrifice or do you empower the inside? Um, because let's say within the media team side, if you, um, if you do need to focus on externally and say, I want to have some of this content live beyond the walls of our session, then maybe it creates more training opportunities for those media team members to kind of think, well, I want this to look more professional. How can this look more professional? Who around me can support me? And maybe it could actually develop that. Just like if you said to a committee, you know, at the end of the day, your resolution is going to be sent to this person. Then they're going to be thinking, wow, I really want to work hard on this. So maybe sometimes that external bit can bring in the internal. But then maybe you actually sacrifice it the other way around of because you put pressure on that committee of saying we are going to be sending your resolution to this person, somebody who feels that they're not an expert on that topic may not actually participate as much as they would have just like a media team member who want, who would have, let's say, stretched the boundaries of what they were thinking of and try something new and innovate something, may choose a safer option if they knew that that material needs to be externalized. Yeah, I think this... I think often we overthink this kind of thing. I think it can be mitigated with words in many, situ many situations. Basically, if you have... Um, so you have a committee of different people and you want to kind of motivate ones who want to have a throne and you don't want to intimidate the ones who don't really feel comfortable showing their work. I feel that just saying that right at the beginning with like a, 
in a con- in a in a way that conveys your message, saying that yeah, we have certain partnerships with these and these people, and the resolutions are going to go to them. But at the same time, look, this is our thing. This is just what we do as a requirement for a session to exist. So what we're doing here is basically for us to grow, understand, and provide our fresh solutions. So let's take it as something that we are creating together and move on with our day. Mm. Um, I think that those who want to hear, ooh, fancy politicians will read me, great. They will hear that. And those who want to hear, okay, but there is not that much pressure because it's just a formality and it's not really super important that um, I tell the politician what he want, he or she want to hear, they will hear that part. Yeah. So I feel, yeah, very often you can mitigate this uh, factor with just tailoring to, um, catering to both categories of delegates. Mm. You can definitely do that when it's a committee situation. But I'm also kind of worried about what, what happens to like the general image of EYP. Like imagine a school tour like it, it's going to attract very different kinds of people if they, someone at the school tours points out, they're like, yeah, we, we're, we're, by the way, sending this to the ambassador or sending this to the ministry of whatever. It's going to be like a different approach already coming to the committee work that might be a bit difficult to mm-hmm. change. That That is actually a really good point because if you think about how EYP is in the UK, as an example, where whenever we're thinking about um, diversity or inclusion, one of the biggest barriers most countries have is language. And it's only people who have a good level of language of English are able normally to join EYP. And that obviously cuts out 80% of most countries' population. So that, whereas in the UK... I'd like to point out how, uh, for Nathan, language and English are synonymous. I <laughs> okay, I try to switch that, hoping that nobody would notice me just like throw that in with my using my native privilege in that. that damn, it didn't work. I, I saw your face. I was thinking, did, did she get Oopsie. this? Did she not? But you got it, damn. But let's say in, in, in the UK is the place in which that shouldn't be an issue because right Every, everyone is english natives so they can use that language so you should have way more diversity way more inclusion however it's probably one of the uip countries that has the most amount of private schools that are constantly selected <laughs> to go to international sessions etc um and a lot of it is about the perspective of the way schools see eyp and they see this kind of session and what it stands for what is this actually doing this is a a formal debating event that people come together and what what does this formal debating then lead to? And their perspective on that creates a self-selection where many schools say, we don't want to compete in this stuff because we're going to look bad against these other rich schools. And so I think what you were saying, Joel, is that um, I felt that is quite synonymous with this because if you enter with that perspective of saying, the reason why you come into EYP is because you are actually going to be creating change and we're going to give you the opportunity to create change. And this is the driving factor. Then maybe you start to see the self-selection of schools um, a little bit like it is in the UK. Um, the one place where everyone's native English and you shouldn't have those kind of same issues. I mm-hmm. Well, having done one UK session... Um... 
I feel that even the people who are there, I, you know, this this um, ever present problem of pushing up the language of your uh, clauses. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it worse than in the UK. I'm like, why people? <laughs> Yeah. And the thing is, they are so they're so hyped up about the competition, mm-hmm. and you have judges, uh, the jury walk judges, <laughs> the jury walking around and uh, interviewing everybody, and there's this insane uh, pressure to show something. They have an idea of what they need to show, and this is pushing yeah. up the language and uh, talking in constantly. Um, so. I'm not, probably there were a lot of private schools at this session. I'm not entirely sure who was there. (laughs) But I also think it is a good opportunity for people from those private schools who experience a UK session and think this is this uh, competitive machine and this is like your, um, your shortcut to the House of Commons. (laughs) For then those people to go to an international session where you see the Latvians, where you see Latvians like Nick's, or where you see the Irish being like, we don't really give a fuck, we're just here to enjoy our Mm. time. Um, Or to see uh, the French with the crepe and uh, the uh, cheese uh, at the Jura village. And it's like... (laughs) Joel's face is funny. Um, And it's... um, kind of bringing people to a whole different event and allowing them to appreciate different aspects of UIP and different past aspects of organizations that are such that are so multifaceted mm-hmm. not not just you debate and you go to the next level so why why, uh, why not a beneficial on a different level i would i think um, I'm not exactly sure what the situation is now, but I think EYP UK is doing quite some outreach effort. Don't, don't want to lie, but that I think that has been kind of discussed, mm-hmm. the fact that we want to involve different kinds of schools more. Yeah, and I guess... I'm not. I'm not here like to complain about UIP UK in particular. I try to highlight and stuff like that. Even <laughs> though it probably does sound like it, yeah. Um, I guess it's just a great example of when we're talking about how the perceived culture or perceived values then really shapes uh, what kind of people go to a place and how they're going to be acting. So if we create an UIP session where externally um it's perceived as being this place where we are creating all of this amazing content to put externally to give to members of parliament to show in this newspaper in that magazine and this kind of stuff then um maybe you have a certain amount of self-selection of people who then come into it which is then against the hard work that we're doing in terms of diversity and inclusion so maybe that's something that we don't always think about i never kind of thought about until we were just discussing just then uh yeah to an extent um this that kind of image would be intimidating and that's why at a certain point uh people uh, in ncs and um in the office started screaming at us saying please no more pictures of people in suits (laughs) 
so let's show people something yes. different. Um, I think there are different people working for different goals in EYP. And the reality is mm -hmm. that your organization needs to have a good relationship with decision mm -hmm. makers and funders and the public sector and the private sector. Like you need to have those relationships. And uh, then the other reality is that you want to include as many people as possible and you don't want to intimidate them too much with... Uh, all of this bubble that is happening behind the scenes. So it's a, it's a scale. You have to balance it out to achieve uh, as many of your goals as possible at any given point. Um, yep. And you you play that game. So when, when you have a team, so you've been ed editress many, many times. Um, and when you go into them, you have a team of people who each of them have different ideas of what the media team should be doing, of what the goals of UIP is and stuff like this. Um, how do you go from that kind of collection of all different ideas to the team is going to be having this vision for a session? I think since UIP media is so quickly evolving and such a broad term, to a great extent, it depends on the editor. Um, and also, I think it does depend on the leadership in general. What, um, because sometimes you have restrictions, sometimes you have expectations on behalf of um, other people in the leadership that kind of uh, set some boundaries um, to what you can or cannot do as, a, as an editor. Um, but... Well, if you're a president, you have like this basic format that you go through. You you want to do some changes. You want to innovate a bit. But this is still a pretty rigid um, sequence of actions you go through. Uh, for EYP Media, that does not really exist. You can pull some bits from previous experiences, talk to some other editors and some other people who have done it. But you're basically inventing a bike every time. Um, and for me, I have um, always been a rebel in so many different things. Not like uh, I don't have issues with um, authority, <laughs> not in that sense, but in the sense that, okay, I have seen this thing done this way. I don't really like it this way. I want to do it differently. If it comes to like very basic missteps that are kind of forgotten and not really paid attention to. If I notice them, I would like to do my best to do it differently. And in that process of innovating, you make your own mistakes. I, I think that's um, how we humans um, mm -hmm. operate at this point of our development. And my approach has been very open like I would really like to see what people have to contribute this is when I'm talking about the Erevan like I have done different approaches in that sense because at first I was going more with a notion of order like we have a system here we have those needs, we're going to cover them, we have some projects, we have some people that are going to be working on those projects, 
So like a very structured organizational approach, mm. um, which I think for me uh, during my first sessions as an editor uh, was a very good learning opportunity. And I think it was also useful for those journalists that joined me or media team members that joined me. However, as I evolved more in EYP and became more confident in what I was doing in all different ways through organizing, being a board member, uh, chairing, presiding, I started to be a bit more brave with uh, saying, okay, cool, tell me what you want to do and we'll make it happen. <laughs> and it's not be always been very comfortable. Uh, one uh, media team member told me, like, uh, in my previous experience, I was just clearly told, hey, I need this, do it for me now, please. And uh, with you, you were like, so uh, what would be your ideas for a project? You have some time to think it through, and then we'll have another call and discuss and refine, and we can involve some other people to get your thing going. And he's like, I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> it's not as easy as just being told. Um, um, so it's, um, it's a bit of a different experience. But I think it can be a little daunting but I think it's also a very good opportunity for empowerment, the empowerment that we talk a lot about in EYP. As a delegate, you're thrown in the deep end. And as a media team member being told, you have a free hand. Do whatever you like. I'll support you. Oh, I'll do my best to support you. I think that also puts the media team members in the same position they found themselves in as delegates at some point. That's true, because when you're a delegate, you you come into a session and they're like okay what do you think about this complex topic and you're like hold on a second you, you're asking for my opinion am i <laughs> it's like yeah you, you're going to build a resolution and this is 100 from you but you're looking to your chairperson like can you can you tell us what we're meant to write you know like you, you probably <laughs> know much more about this topic than we do so maybe Maybe you can give us some pointers or something like, is this right? You know, we, we had this idea. Would this work? And the chairperson's like, oh, no, do, do you think it would work? <laughs> so that's true. It's kind of really bringing up that. And I guess you have that in most roles and most experiences in UIP. But like you said, as a media team member, because there isn't that structure of saying, okay, you are here to build a resolution with these people on this topic, go ahead. And these are all the different methods we're going to use. I'm going to take you through brainstorming. I'm going to take you through grouping. Here, you're basically saying to media team members, okay, what, what do you want to do with your time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, okay, I can give you a few like directions you could potentially go in, but uh, feel free to do anything else instead. And you start to scratch your head and be like, hmm, okay, so now what? <laughs> when I was a media team member, I, I was always focused on uh, creating experiences and thinking, okay, what, what, what could help symbolize what's happening in the event and how can we give this to delegates? So I, I remember in one, I think it was like Latvian Nationals back in 2013 or something like this, um, when, when being a media team member there, um me me and um and edgar uh, a friend over there 
decided on this like really random thing, which was um, to do an EYP survival kit, um, kind of like James Bond style, where whenever James Bond kind of goes into the room and then gets all of these different weapons and they have the person who kind of talks through, this is what this does, this is what this does, and created a, uh, a cutout um, survival kit that was a part of the magazine <laughs> that then you had the cutting lines for all <laughs> the different things and then you had a video of like a mad scientist explaining all the different kind of bits of the cutout and how that would help in different parts of the session and stuff like this you know to kind of help them think about the event in a slightly different way and to build on their experience and I guess that is more focused on what you said before about some people go in with that art or design aspect of saying okay what what can I create that expresses I don't know a feeling or something I, I want to to communicate out whereas people let's say like myself are more going in on the delegate experience perspective and saying okay what can I do with this experience with this new role that I have as a media team member instead uh fun uh fact here the gallery I worked with just did an exhibition called um survival kit in the art Ooh. world funky Maybe they saw your they work stole. at some point, Nathan. They you have inspired a whole art exhibition. No, I haven't inspired them. They <laughs> stole my work. That is different. Being inspired from and stealing. Plagiarism. Yeah, it's like, I imagine someone just comes up to you and, um, you know, they, they've literally, they break into your house, they steal your TV, they put it in their living room and say, you inspired me. It's theft. Um. It's theft. <laughs> <laughs> You are totally you. correct, Nathan. This is a very, very um, valid analogy. <laughs> but Joe, have you have you ever been a part of a media team? No, indeed, Ooh. I have not. I didn't know that about you, Joe. Yeah, I almost, uh, I almost was a media team member at the Hamburg IS, but that did not end up coming to life. Why have you not been interested in media? It's not so much that I haven't been interested in participating in the media of EYP, but more that I've been more interested in other fields. That, Fair uh, enough. Doing, if when I wanted to hop out of the chairing or vice presiding streak, I would go into jurying instead, because that felt more like a space where my personality and my set of skills could have an impact. Oh. Like when I was going to, or when I was applying to Hamburg, I built the entire application and concept of me going there around kickstarting a, what basically was an early thought baby of this podcast <laughs> of let's do a session to push me to actually start it because I had I had been considering starting this podcast for more than two years before we actually ended up yeah. releasing our first episode so it was it was it was there as a way of okay this is this could be my participation into EYP media. And I guess I am doing EYP media as I talk right now. Yes, yeah, you are. That's true. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, Ended up there as, anyways. As somebody who is external from EYP session media, 
because like you said, you're doing your media here, but not within the session itself. Um, I, I had the task yesterday, or actually no, this morning, of I had to write a little thing to describe what is a media team member or what, what is a media team in EYP for an external person who doesn't know EYP. So as somebody who's never been in a media team in EYP, Joel, how would you describe what a, either a media team is in EYP or what, what is a media team member? The difficulty there comes from exactly what Anastasia was saying earlier, that it really depends on the editor and what the media team actually ends up doing, whether it's this kind of creating experiences for the day, like it's as Nathan likes to do, or coming up with uh, sponsor-friendly content, as uh, Anastasia didn't put it, but <laughs> paraphrased it into. So, yeah, I guess I would describe it as a force within the session that captures parts of the uh, events that take place, whether it's through media such as photos or videos or journalism or attached academic content for the uh, topics that are being de uh, debated by the committees. Let me tell you about my pet peeve with EYP oh, media. Oh, yes. Settle down, yes, boys and girls. Story time. So, as it happens, you have a session. The delegates are quite essential to it happening. The chairs are quite essential to it happening because you cannot just throw delegates into a room and say, here, write and debate. Uh, the board is also somewhat essential because you need somebody to coordinate the whole shebang and to make things happen. The NC is essential. The organizer is pretty essential. But when it comes to the media team, you can very well do without it. Riga did without it. If you don't have the money, the first thing you cut is the media team. Hello, Yerevan. I didn't even mind that much. I prefer the size of that team the way it was. But the fact remains, there is trouble. And the first thing to go is the media team. Mm -hmm. And I remember in good old days that um, the reason why the media team exists is to involve more people as officials, which is a pretty lousy reason. Uh, and I've always been trying, when I actually kind of understood how the whole thing functioned, I've been trying to uh, get people on my team to be more integrated with the whole session because there is so much that we are not doing as media teams or at least it's not visible. I don't know what's happening now. Like the last session I properly did was in 2019. Although, yeah, COVID, so that probably was one of the last normal sessions. Never mind. <laughs> but basically, you have a team of people who are rarely seen. The editor is a ghost. You just maybe see him at opening and closing. Um, and the you have to kind of introduce them for a few minutes to the delegates to say, they're going to be jumping in and out to take a couple of pictures. Don't be afraid of them. And they may be doing a couple of projects, right? So cool. They are not an external person to the session. And it always kind of pissed me off because... We're putting in so much work. We're an integral part of this event. We really want to be more present in the minds of the delegates and uh, within the whole officials team as well. Uh, so my attempts have been to actually have the media team members 
engage with delegates in a one-on-one -on -one setting to create uh, like discussion-related topics, a discussion-related content with the delegates to look for ways to basically make the three officials teams and the delegates more interconnected. At the moment, you have the three teams. We have, we have the chairs and the delegates like intertwined like a beautiful bonsai tree. And you have the organizers who you definitely see and who you appreciate because of their, all of the hard work. And the media team is kind of uh, there and you like the pictures, but the pictures appear out of nowhere <laughs> and you don't know these people. Um, and they are not really important to the delegate as a, as a regular delegate at a session. And I have been looking for different approaches to just integrate the media team more. And I think there's a lot of ways to do so um, from really like handing the committee over to them for something meaningful to having more interaction outside of the committee room, but again, in a meaningful way so that they come across to the delegates as oh yeah, this was my uh, media team member, or oh, these are our media team members. We've had these meaningful interactions. We have an idea of what they're doing, but at least we know who they are, and we have an idea of a function that they fulfill at, fulfill at this event. Yeah, that was way more subdued than it usually is, <laughs> but ran yeah. over. Oh, well, it's ju just like you did in Yerevan. I remember these discussions and we were having this exact same discussion in Yerevan and you were saying, okay, we were brainstorming that. And if I remember correctly, what what one of the ideas that you guys then put in place there was after the committee work had then finished, um, the media team then took the delegates and kind of then took the role of training them in terms of how how to, how to GA through a little bit of humor as well? Uh, we were doing roundtables. Okay, I got that wrong. And it was a, a bit of a difficult situation because we had fewer uh, media team members than there were committees. Yeah. But essentially, it was an interaction with two committees at the same time. I don't exactly remember the format right now, but they were telling each other about the content of mm. their discussions throughout the three days. And they were interacting with the media team member on those topics as well. It was like, mm. basically um, sharing what you have just discussed and starting to think it through better before GA in a way, but it was um, also an opportunity to allow the delegates to kind of think back at what they did and to see if they're able to explain it. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, moment of meaningful topic-related interaction between the media team and those guys. And I'm hoping they remembered it. <laughs> it's a pleasant experience. Um, yeah. And I think there there is a lot of potential there. It just needs to be explored a bit more purposefully definitely i remember when they cut the media team from riga and i remember thinking what literally axing a whole team <laughs> <laughs> because of budget constraints and stuff but still like 
Yeah. And for me, that just kind of shows flashbacks. Of, I, I don't feel it's the case as much today, but I remember when I first started DYP and I was said, oh, I'd, I'd like to be a chairperson. Someone said to me, yeah, maybe you want to be a journo first. And kind of seeing being a, <laughs> being a media team member was a step to becoming a chairperson. And it's like, no, these are two completely different fields with two very different skill sets and different ways of interaction. It's for example, if a chairperson can focus on the leadership skills and group dynamics side, an organizer is more focused on structured logistics and getting things done. Media team member is way more focused on the creativity side of things. So if you do have that creative... Yeah gene in you and you really want to then express it and find and, and actually if you want to push way further with innovation then the best team to be in is going to be the media team and i would actually go as far as to say that if you want to be an innovative chair you would benefit from just jumping into a media team and looking into ways you can interact with your delegates um and bring that aspect of creativity to what mm -hmm. they are doing as a media team member. And then you can take that away in your first, next experiences as a chairperson. Yeah. Uh, I would, it's creativity for sure. It's a lot of liberty because you're not um, um, tied to that rigid mm -hmm. structure we discussed before. And it's, um, an essential role basically because everybody needs those photos everybody does need that coverage and not also externally but well if you're doing an is you're expected to provide a certain amount of content mm -hmm. for office purposes for uh, organizers purposes and so on so just keeping that in mind that the, the resolutions, whatever is in them, it's fine. They're just going to be formatted and done. That's cool. Um, you're really relying on this media team to provide you content that you will then be using to do reporting. So they are pretty essential mm -hmm. and you really want them to do a quality job. Um, and then to snippy snippy the size of the team <laughs> the first and i think i've been to a lot of sessions where you have like maybe a smaller media team because of budget constraints but you have like 25 organizers yeah. 15 of whom are just showering the whole time <laughs> like, maybe maybe let's reconsider how we uh, deal with budgetary issues when it comes to team um downsizing true I'm I'm happy that you managed to get one of your pet peeves off your chest <laughs> out in public. I got it on, on tape. tape. Yes. <laughs> so you so you've been doing a lot of things with uh, with design outside of the organization. Is there something you'd recommend for your average journalist of what how could they utilize the skills that they gain within EYP media outside of the outside of sessions? Ooh. I think um, it so depends the field of work you're going to be in because what you in terms of design what you learn is some Adobe 
software, you learn to work with that. Uh, but I think what Nathan was talking about, creating this um, survival kit cutout thing, is also very much design. Like I did a, I studied social design for a little bit in the Netherlands. Um, and that's uh, pretty much what you would see lying around on students' desks, something they're playing around with to create a prototype later. Mm. And I think that if you somewhat zoom out of just, okay, I learned to make a pretty GIF or I learned to edit a photograph or I learned to put some people together to talk about a certain topic and make it nicely framed and everything. And you start thinking about design as something that that can be used in basically any field of work. Mm, stupid example would be uh, the um, exploding chairs uh, cards that Nathan, that originated with Nathan, and uh, then were distributed among the chairs team in Yerevan. Allegedly. Allegedly. You have one in your drawer. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no copyright infringements were <laughs> done in the creation of this. <laughs> Obviously not. Um, the idea... So, okay. You're not a very frequent media team member, Nathan, but let's talk about this as a creative design exercise. So your goal was to bring the official teams closer together. It doesn't have to be official teams. It can be your coworkers, or it can be the um, community you're working to bring closer together as an integration officer in some social office, or it can be people participating in a um, uh, and, and a festival that you want to engage in some form of activity. So you start with a goal of, I want to have this group of people interact more in a fun way. Um, and having that goal in mind, you then start thinking, what are my options for doing so? I more or less know the people who I will be dealing with there. I more or less understand what kind of audience or what kind of um, characters are going to be gathered. So I kind of maybe have an idea of what they would like. And from there on, you uh, let your creativity run free in a shower or while cycling or while working on a dress. Um, and instead of just um, going with the good old, uh, well, let's make a round of introductions and then watch a film together, um, you think... I can do better and I can actually make a card game that everybody will enjoy for two weeks, right? Uh, or if it's, um, we're recently like uh, this NGO I've been working with, they have done a series of short films made by young people about immigrants or people with a different background living in Estonia. Um, it, and the goal was again, to kind of, portray the diversity of the country and uh, to show who is present in uh, these communities. Um, 
and they did have teams of people helping out. But basically, the films were shot by young people with amateur cameras, and now they're being shown around like small film festivals and in museums, and they're getting quite a bit of publicity. And it all started with a small brainstorm of, okay, so we have this goal. What could we do? Hmm, let's do mini documentaries. Cool idea. Let's move on from there and design um, the system we will have to put in place to make them happen together. Now, as if a careful listener might, might have spotted from our intro, Anastasia is the person that designed the uh, imagery used by the podcast. So maybe we'll give you a <laughs> little spot to do a bit of self-promotion. Where can people find more about your work and future projects if they're interested? <laughs> um, there is a project that I'm doing called Destructura. It's um, a two-year long undertaking, basically coming from this um, dissatisfaction we EYPers have when entering the labor market in so many different fields. Uh, the art field being not an, being one of them. Uh, basically, with a team of some former EYPers and some new people, uh, we are looking to engage young artists, curators, um, art professionals in the fields of visual and performing arts. That's going to be a nine-day nine session, basically, in Tallinn. And then they are going to carry out full-on projects for a year uh, in different countries around Europe. They're going to show their exhibitions through their performances. And at various stages of the project, we are going to collect feedback from them about their experience. That feedback then is going to go to publications and decision makers with the goal of saying, we see those things kind of wrong with the art world. And we as a new generation are proposing some solutions. And they are based on actual real-life experience we've had for a year when realizing those exhibitions. Or they're based on working for four months with experts and with uh, partners to collect information about the whole structure of the art world. So you can find more about me on the uh, Destructura website. It's, um, how do you spell it? You spell it D-E-S-T-R-U. C-T-U-R-A.com. I also have um, an artist portfolio, which might, uh, which, which I need to work on, but uh, it's still there. Lemberklova.com. Yeah, and we're going to look for volunteers for the Destructura project in the, in the coming up, in the days to come. So very soon. Um, that's my promo message for young EYPers out there who are interested in the art 